Woodrow Wilson, the 28th President of the United States. And I know for some of us in this room, that's a long way back. We, we didn't even know who Woodrow Wilson is or was. Um, he was the 28th President of the United States, 1913 to 1921. He tells a story of how he was once sitting in a barber's chair when a man quietly walked in, entered the barber shop, and sat in a chair next to him. And here's what he says about this man. He says, Every word the man uttered showed a personal interest in the man who was cutting his hair. He says, And before my haircut was finished, I became aware that I had attended an evangelistic event because D.L. Moody was the man in the other chair. For those of you who don't know who D.L. Moody is, he was an American evangelist. Uh, Moody Church in Chicago, Moody Bible Institute is named after him. Wilson states that after Moody had left the barbershop, he, Wilson, purposely stayed behind to see what kind of effect that Moody had had on the others sitting in the barbershop. He says they talked in low, quiet voices, kind of whispering. They didn't know who this man was, but they knew that something had elevated their thoughts. Wilson says, And I felt that I had left that place as I should have felt if I had been in a place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed. You know, I read that story and there's a word that comes to mind when I read this story, and it's the word influence. Influence. Moody had an influence on Woodrow Wilson and the whole um, gathering of people there in the barbershop. He had influence. Here's a question I want to present to you as believers. What message do you and I leave with the world? When you pass by, what are you saying? This is the message that Jesus is getting to here in these verses, Matthew 5, 13-16. Jesus is talking about influence. He's talking about how believers affect the world in which they live. Jesus is saying, you are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. You're the sons of the kingdom. You are salt and light in this world. You are influencers in this world. For God and for good. Jesus is calling on these people here to influence the world in which they live. That's what He's calling them to do. You must be those who influence the world. Now, Jesus knew that living such a way would not be easy. Right? Jesus knew that. Listen to John chapter 17, verse 15. Jesus is praying to God the Father. If you've ever read John chapter 17, it's a beautiful chapter in the Bible. Jesus is praying to the Father for His believers who are existing then and all who will come in the future. He's praying to God the Father for us. And listen to what He says. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Do you hear what He said? I'm not praying you take them out, but just keep them from the evil one. Then in verse 16 He says... They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I'll skip verse 17. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. Then in verse 18, Jesus prays, As you sent me into the world, listen to what He says, So I have sent them 
into the world. Just like God sent Jesus into the world, Jesus sends you and I into the world. Where does Jesus say He sent you and I? Into the world. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, which is the author of the Gospel of John, in 1 John of the same, the Holy Spirit through John says this, Do not love the world or the things of the world. And you're thinking, now wait a minute, Jesus sent us into the world, and then John says, don't love the world or the things of the world. So, what are we to make of that? One commentator I was reading says, to sum it up in this way, here's how Jesus would have, if you said, Jesus, just kind of give us the bottom line, sum that up for us. I, Jesus, want you in the world, but not of the world. I sent you to the world, but don't love the world. That's a very thin line, wouldn't you say? That's a very thin line to walk. How can believers be in the world, but not of the world? Sent to the world, but not allowed to love the world? How then can we be an influence if those things are true? Jesus says, here's how you do it. You have to be salt, and you have to be light in the world. So if you're looking at your handout... You see, the main idea here is a Christian's influence in the world. A Christian's influence in the world. So look at verse 13. That'll be our only verse. We'll we'll have two points to deal with there. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Of course, I've outlined it. I was real genius with that, wasn't I? The salt of the earth. Uh, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Jesus begins with an affirmation here. There's a declaration. And who's making this affirmation? An affirmation is a statement of truth. What is reality? And who's making this statement about you and I? Our Lord. You are the salt of the earth. This is how you influence the world, Christian. This is how you do that. You are salt. That's a simple statement, right? You are salt. Say that with me. You are salt. Say it this way. I am salt. Okay. Jesus said that, so what exactly does that mean? In order to better understand what Jesus is saying, we need to know the idea behind salt, right? That would be a good thing to try to figure out. Where's salt? What is salt? How many of you ever heard this saying? He is not worth his salt, right? How many of y'all have heard that statement? He's not worth his salt. How many of you know where that comes from? Anybody want to guess where that saying comes from? You're like, well, my grandpa. Well, where did Grandpa get? This saying comes from Roman soldiers. That's where this saying originates. One of the primary ways that a Roman soldier was paid was with salt. Aren't you glad you're not a Roman soldier, right? Now, when you get your paycheck, or you, you know, you may think it's kind of like salt, right? You're thinking, man, I did more than that this week, surely. And so, uh, 
They were paid with salt. Salt was a very valuable product then. Extremely valuable. So if a soldier wasn't worth his salt, he was not worth his salary. And by the way, in Latin, a Roman soldier's pay was referred to as a salarium, which is where we get our English word salary. Yeah. So let's talk about salt. Salt has a lot of purposes, but I think there's two primary ones that Jesus meant here for this. Two primary purposes in this particular time. So when Jesus says, believe as your salt of the earth, the primary purpose, and your handout has this word, preservation. Salt is a preservative. Salt preserves things from what? Corruption or decay. It's used in that way. And in this particular time period, that was a big use for salt. So for some of us here today, we don't realize there was a time before there were refrigerators, right? Some of you in here are going, your, your head's nodding like the dog on the, the dash. It's going, yeah, you remember because you were there, right? There, there was a time when there wasn't refrigeration, right? So in order to preserve meat, people would do what to that meat? They would salt it down, right? In order to keep it from what? Spoiling or decaying. I remember uh, not long after I'd been here, I went to Miss Tom and uh, Nail's house and I walked in and I looked kind of to my right and there on a something, I don't know if it was a freezer or a table or something, laid this big old hunk of meat. And it was being preserved. And so I, I looked at that and I'm thinking, that's, that's quite interesting. That reflected back on the days of my grandpa when you go out to the little wooden building out by, behind the, uh, the other things he had there and hanging on a rope and this kind of a bag was these big old pieces of, what do they call them? A ham of some kind. It, it was pigs all I knew and it was good. <laughs> so, right? And so those things had been salted. They were, they were preserved. Salt is a purifying agent. It keeps, it keeps meat pure, particularly in that day and time. When, when uh, hogs are killed, a lot of times they just coat that meat with salt, right? Does anybody, Henry, do you do that still? You, you do that? Yeah. Meat was preserved with salt to keep it from rotting and, and decaying. Are you starting to get the picture? Preservation. So if salt is preserving, Jesus is saying that we Christians, the church, we, a, we are a preserving factor to keep down what? Decay and corruption in our world. Uh, if you, in your Bibles, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Uh, if you have a pew Bible, it should be page 996. 2 Timothy 3.12 Turn to the right in your Bibles. 2 Timothy 3.12 The sound of pages in the Bible turning. It's good, right? Second Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And you're like, well, wait a minute. Why are you reading this? Let me read you something. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Don't turn back there unless your finger is where you originally started. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
2 Timothy 3, 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's a connecting thing going on here. There's what? Persecution that takes place. And then in verse 13, while evil people and imposters will go on from, what's the next two words? Three words? Bad to worse. Man, our particular time, or not just in our time, but for some reason, man thinks he's what? Getting better, right? We're getting better. What does 2 Timothy say? All who desire to live God in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters go on from what? Bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Jesus here in Matthew is describing a society that's what? Getting worse. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Verse 14, notice what it says. But as for you, you being believers, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. What are we to do? The world keeps getting worse, more corruption. We keep doing what? Continuing. Knowing from what from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, talking about the Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The world, he says, is going from what? Bad to worse. And he doesn't give us any indication that that's ever going to change, right? You and I are salt. We are a preserving factor to keep down corruption and decay. Will we wipe it out? No, but here's the deal. Think about it if there was no salt, if there was no Christian in the world. Jesus living in you. If there was no salt in the world, what would the world be like? Let me ask you a question. Rhetorical. Do you think that abortion is wrong? Do you think that same-sex marriage is wrong? Do you think... Men using the same restroom as women is wrong. I certainly hope so. Here's another question. Do you think those things are okay? Because we don't need to be naive. There are people sitting in our congregations everywhere that think these things are okay. If you think they're okay, then my question to you is, why do you think they're okay? Is it because our culture says it's okay? Here's the question. This is the one you can answer. Is the Bible true or not? It's true, right? Some people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't believe that part is true. Same-sex marriage, abortion, transgenderism, men using the same restroom as women. I believe the Bible's true, but I just don't believe that part. Paul says here that the Bible makes you wise for what? Salvation. If the Bible is profitable for salvation, then it's profitable to speak into every area of life. If it makes you wise to know that you're lost and dead in your sin, you need to repent and trust in Jesus, then it can speak into every area of your life. You cannot pick and choose. Paul and Jesus are saying, while our world is decaying, you, Christian, Help stop, slow down the decaying by being what? 
Salt. And you are affected salt based on what? This. The salt of the Word makes the Christian what? Salty. Salt is a preserving element or agent. That, therefore, Jesus is saying to us, we are a preservative for this world. We are in this world for God and for good. And don't misunderstand the good part there because you're not doing the good. God's doing what? The good through you. Salt is also essential for life. Still the idea of preservation. Did you know you needed salt to live? You say, yeah, I'll tell my doctor that every time I go. <laughs> I tell him the same thing. But too much salt is a bad thing. But you need it, right? You don't produce salt, but where does your salt come from? It comes from what you eat, right? So what you eat must contain salt in moderation. Don't go to your doctor. The preacher said, in order for me to live, i got to salt my food. There's something else I learned this week about salt and its preservation of life. And I'll verify this with some of our farmers in the church. Did you know that cows would die without salt? Some of you still put out a salt lick block, right? Jeff told me that they use other means of getting salt to their cows. They can't get salt from eating grass and hay. They've got to have that supplement. They need salt to make Milk. If cows don't get enough salt, what happens to them? They begin to get feeble, they lose their appetite, and they begin to lose weight, which is not good for us because there's no more hamburger and steaks on the table, right? I also learned that in time, the craving for salt will cause a cow to eat all kinds of things. They'll eat dirt, they'll eat rocks, they'll eat pieces of wood, trying to find salt. Jeff told me that they put salt in a particular feeding trough-like thing, if I remember him rightly. And once that salt goes away, what do the cows do? He said, they'll lick that wood, trying to get the salt out of the wood. They'll even lick the ground and lick divots in the ground, trying to get that salt. Salt is necessary for life. When you go to the hospital, what is the first thing they do to you? Stick an IV in you, right? What's in that IV? It's a saline drill. A little bit of salt, a little bit of sugar... And water. What are they trying to do? Keep you hydrated, right? It's necessary to preserve your life. Salt is a preserving agent. It, 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 it preserves life. It keeps down corruption and decay. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's applying this idea of salt to you. He's saying you, Christian, are a preserving factor in the world. You are essential for this culture. You are the salt of what church? What's the next two words? The earth. The word earth refers to humanity. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt for a lost and dying world. A second purpose for salt, primarily, and this is the one we're most familiar with, is what? Flavor, right? Colossians chapter 4 verse 8. Don't turn there. Let me read this for you. Colossians chapter 4 verse 8 says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. We speak truth. 
But we need to do so without being what? Nasty and mean-spirited about it. Your goal is not to win an argument. When you walk away from someone, if you've won the argument, you've won the argument, and that person may still die and go to hell. The argument is irrelevant. Now, we need to know the truth, and we need to be able to articulate that, but your speech, when you're talking with the unsaved, when you're interacting with the world, your speech is to be what? What did he say? It's to be what? Gracious. And it is to how often be gracious? Some of the time, if the person's being nice back to you, but always. Even when you're being ridiculed or persecuted. Gracious. Always. Your speech is to be seasoned with salt. In other words, it's to have an effect. Not abusive or mean-spirited, but gracious is to have a positive effect. It's supposed to be a, a flavoring agent, right? Um, you know, one of the best things about summertime is the garden, right? And tomatoes. And I'm telling you, there's nothing better than a, a garden grown, walk out in the yard, pull off the vine... Take it in the house, wash it, cut it up, and eat it. I mean, there's nothing better. I had, for lunch this week, I had a tomato sandwich every single day. Man, I'd get hung up. Tomatoes, that's what I'm going to have today. How does that work? You, you pull that tomato, you, you pull out your, your Wonder Bread, your Sunbeam White Bread, and you put what on there? You, you lather it up with what? Mayonnaise, right? Both sides. Both sides, right? You you don't even look the crooks and the crannies. You can't even see through it no more. You just you put it on there, both pieces, and you cut a a big old slice of tomato. In my case, it's two. Even if that one covers the bread, there's two going on there, and that tomato is it's good, isn't it? Some of you, right? I've made a mistake right now. I realize that some of you are just check y'all. <laughs> Tomato sandwiches are dancing in your head right now. And it's good. But what makes that tomato sandwich really good? Yeah. Yeah. Pepper. And then what? I won't eat a tomato. If you don't put salt on it, I will not eat it. My dad used to walk out of the house, go to the garden, take the salt shaker with him, and he'd pull the tomato off the vine and bite that thing like an apple. Salt has an effect on that sandwich, right? Salt has a positive effect. It's extremely, it's extremely gracious to that tomato, is it not? It affects it in a positive way. It brings out the flavor. It's to be the same with us, Christian. Here's the, here's the deal. The truth of God's Word, listen, it's going to offend people. The Gospel will offend people. Shake your head. Yes, the gospel is going to offend people, but you are not to be offensive in presenting. You are to be gracious always. We are to bring flavor to the world with the gospel. There's nothing worse than a nasty Christian. Now here's how we can apply this. This statement Jesus makes has some interesting implications for us. You are the salt of the earth. That would seem to suggest that were it not for believers who are present in the world, then we'd see, as I said earlier, a lot more corruption and decay, would it not? I think this truth keeps us from two very important errors that we have a tendency to fall into. And here's I'm going to give you those. 
you and I have to understand, based on what we read in Scripture this morning, we have to understand that the world and people are not good. Right? We use that term loosely. He's a good old boy. And I know what we mean. He's a decent guy. But the Scriptures tell us that man is not good. If the world were basically good, then we would not need the presence of salt in the world to preserve it and to prevent corruption. If the world was good, we would not need to be salt. The world is not good. The world is... Actually, it said it's going from what? Bad to worse. When that tomato sits on the counter and it gets a spot on it, it goes from what? It don't back up and get good. It goes from bad to worse. The world is not good. And if it were not for the presence of Jesus Christ living within His people, sin would eventually reduce this world to nothing but corruption and decay. As I said earlier, it's bad, right? Can you imagine if God's presence in His people was not on the face of the earth, what it would be like? So when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, He intends that believers should be those who prevent corruption that's inherent in our society in which we live. The second error we need to avoid is we should not isolate ourselves from the world. Salt is not effective if it's kept on the shelf. If you got a piece of meat and you're wanting to preserve it, and you go get salt and you bring it in and set it up on the, the, the counter or put it in the cabinet, what good does that do to the meat? Absolutely nothing. It can't be isolated. We are to be separate, but we are not to isolate ourselves from other people. It's impossible to have an effect in the world with the gospel when we isolate ourselves. In order to affect society, we've got to come in what? Salt's got to come in contact with the meat to preserve it. You've got to come in contact with the world to preserve it from corruption. Remember, John 17, 18... As you sent me into the world, Jesus talking to the Father, so I have sent them where? Where did Jesus send us? Into the world. Jesus is saying that He has set Himself apart. He came into the world, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to save sinners. He died to save us. He's saved you today, Christian, to be His presence in a corrupt, decaying world. Jesus didn't come just to save you. So you could have the benefit of salvation. He saved you to share the good news with a lost and dying world. That means you can't separate yourself from the world. But I know what some of you are saying right now. It's dangerous out there. Well, I, I guess God didn't think about that. I guess that never entered His mind. Oh, it's going to be dangerous out there. You have to get out into the world. Let me say this. This should also affect the way you look at being a church member. In other words, isolation from the world also means no isolation from one another. Believers are individuals. I'll I'll grant that. But we are not to think of ourselves as individuals when it comes to the church. The word you here, you are, is in the plural. You, church, are the salt of the earth. This tells me it's a collective thing. We together, the church, are the salt of the earth. We're to work together. You've heard this. There's no such thing as long-ranger Christians. 
When you become a member, you do so understanding that along with other believers, you're focused on being the family of God, and your purpose is to gather to be on mission for God. When you become a member of the church, you're signing up to be salt with other people to a dying and corrupt world. Now let's, let's do some application here. More application. How do you preserve yourself from the world? That'd be a good question to ask, right? Because Jesus says you're to be in the world, but you're not to be what? Of the world. I sent you into the world, but you're not to what? Love the world. How do you preserve yourself from the world? How does God keep His people? How does He keep His church pure? Listen to John 17 again, as I read earlier. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. So there's this idea that there's a keeping away from the evil, right? You're in it, but there's a way of keeping you from having it to influence your life. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Now listen to verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So how are we kept from the filth and corruption of this world as God's people? Jesus is praying to the Father, they're in the world. Keep them from the evil one. And how does He ask God to do that? Sanctify them. Keep them by your truth. So how does God make His church pure while we're in the world? Sanctify them in the truth. You separate yourself from the world to the Word of God. And you, listen, if you fall away from the Word as a child of God, as a person professing faith in Christ, this world will corrupt you. That's why I said earlier, there are a lot of people going around and professing Christ who believe the Bible, who say that things in our world are okay. I'm okay with that. But you can't reconcile those things. There needs to be two other things happen in your life in order to not be defiled by the Word. One, you need time in the Word of God. There is no exception to that. You have to have time in the Word of God. If you don't have a plan to read the Bible on a consistent basis, you will fail. If you don't have a plan, listen, if you go out there and shoot the gun and you don't have a target to shoot at, what are you going to hit? Whatever. You've got to have something to aim for. You need to spend time, and I would say this, daily in the Word of God. Now, I said this last week. Can you wake up one day and your world just kind of gets turned upside down and everything gets thrown out and you're kind of like, no time in the Word today? Yes. And that happens kind of regularly, does it not? But it shouldn't be the normal of our life. We've got to have a plan by spending time in the Word. And secondly, you should have a group of other believers that you are regularly discussing the things of God with. There should be a time when you're with other people. And by the way, that's not my idea. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that. There is to be time spent with other believers talking about the things of God. Number two. Quickly. Aren't you glad I just did verse 13? But if the salt has lost its taste, 
How shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. The outline says salt can be rendered useless. In this particular time period when salt was no longer useful, they took it and they threw it out on the road or the path they walked on. That's what they used it for. However, salt never actually goes away. It never goes away. If salt's placed in water and the water evaporates, you know what happens? The salt will bring itself back together when the water is evaporated. Now, in this particular time period, in this area, there was a particular sea in the area that we're familiar with, and it's called what? The Dead Sea, because it had so much salt in it. It's the, it was the saltiest body of water in the world and still is. Most of the salt, however, we don't understand, was useless because it was mixed with gypsum. It, it was useless because it, it couldn't be used to preserve things. It was absolutely useless. Those people sitting here and hearing these words of Jesus for the first time, these people who heard these words, the first ones to hear it, they knew what Jesus meant when He said salt could lose its saltiness. They knew exactly what He was talking about. So how are we Christians rendered useless? We're salt, right? But Jesus is telling us that salt can become useless. The answer, when we are conformed to this world, we lose our effect when we are attracted to the world. Here's what we need to understand. You're being conformed to the world doesn't begin in how you live, but it begins in how you what? Think. How do, I, how do we know that? Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed. Don't be squeezed into a mold by this world, but be what? Transformed away from that by what? The renewing of your mind. Anybody want to take a guess what that's being referenced to? The Word of God. Your, your mind is renewed. You're not conformed to this world by the Word of God. Now let me say this. Mamas and daddies, I, I know I, I give you, a, and I, I don't mean this to be hard on you. I'm just telling you. There is far more mind control going on with your children than you realize. I don't have it on me. How many of your children have a smartphone? A lot of them, right? This has become... One of the things that shapes your children's minds. Not the phone itself, but what can be accessed on that smartphone. And you parents are not even aware of what's going on. They are not seeing and hearing and reading things that are salty. Trust me. We don't live in an Andy Griffith world anymore. And we need to wake up. One of the main topics of discussion these days among Christian community is why are our young people leaving the church? That's a question that the Southern Baptist Convention has been talking about for 
months and years now. Why are our young people leaving the church? Here's why they're leaving. The main influence in their lives is not godly Christians who have a biblical, salty worldview. They leave because they do not see people who are salty. That's not my opinion. They've asked them why they're leaving. And you know what the answer is? Exactly what I told you. They leave the church because they're not given the idea that the church is important. They don't have a love and a passion for Jesus in the church because they do not see parents or others demonstrating a love and a passion for Jesus in the church. They don't see salty Christians. Parents, if you don't make Jesus and His church and a lost world the priority, neither will your children. It will not happen. And here's where the danger comes in. Luke 14.34 Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? That sounds familiar. It is of no use, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Then Jesus says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now what was the manure pile used for? Fertilizer, right? And if you take salty water from your ice cream freezer and you take it outside and pour it on the grass, what happens to it? You kill it, right? I know exactly what I'm going to do with that salty water when we make ice cream because i got weeds and I go, I go pour that on and, and kill them. Or grass that I don't want in certain places. In ancient times when an army would conquer another country, they would devastate that country. And you know what they would do? They would go out in their fields and they would plow them up and they would sow salt in their fields. Why would they do that? It would take years before those people could ever raise crops again. Jesus is saying here, He says salt must retain its saltiness. He's saying, you Christian, you're the salt of the earth. You have the power of God in you to preserve life and to bring flavor in this world. But if you are a professing Christian and you become like the world, you become a deadly influence. He says, you are dangerous. That's what He's saying. If you're a professing Christian, but your life is not salty, reflecting that, you are dangerous. The reason the church in the United States is in decline and the reason our country is in decline is because the church has lost its saltiness. We have no one to blame but ourselves. We have contaminated the salt. The influence of Christians in and on our society depends on being distinct, not being identical. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. It says, But thanks be to God. Listen to these verses. Who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. And through us, listen to this, spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. How far does it go? Everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God. Man, I love that. God looks at us that know Jesus, and we are a sweet smell to Him. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Wow. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. These verses are saying to some people in the world, the Christian life, the aroma it puts off is good. It's a pleasing smell, right? 
For others, it's like riding up Interstate 85 through Roanoke Rapids. And you know what happens when you get through there, right? The smell of the, the plant there. You ever, y'all look at me like you've never done that. I've been through that. And what normally happens when you're there? You hope there's no law enforcement around. And forgive me, guys, if you're here, it's kind of like the foot does this. And you kind of, you get through there. That's the way some of us are to the world. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. In your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your school, do you demonstrate the gospel through how you live and by what you say? If we become like the world, we are absolutely useless. And here's what I want to tell you. Listen to me carefully. Stop depending on the government to be the salt. God didn't say, government, you are the salt of the earth. But He says, who's the salt? We are. We the people of God are the salt of the earth. The hope of America is not who becomes the next president. The hope of America is a gospel revival. And that revival has to begin where? In this place. Revival will only come through those who live and proclaim the gospel. And here's what I want you to understand. God does not have a plan B. We're it. We the church are His plan. So here's what I want to challenge you. Let's teach our children the gospel. Let's teach our children the Bible, teach them to love Jesus, and teach them to love His church. Let me tell you something. I run into people all the time say, I love Jesus, but the church is another thing. And I say, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus loves His church enough to die for it. You can't love Jesus and not love what He loves. That is the hope of our nation. We are the hope of the world. We are the salt. Do you understand that? We are God's plan. There is no other way to redeem a world from its lostness and from its darkness. God, here's what I want you to understand. God's plan is going to succeed. Nothing can stop it. Would you agree to that? God's made a promise, and He always keeps His promise. There's going to be a time when God will gather a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into a new heavens and a new earth. That plan is going to succeed. But will you, will we, be a part of that plan coming about? God's church is going to prevail, but there's no guarantee that every church will be a part of that. And how can we be restored? How can we be the saltiness of the earth? There's one word in the Bible that comes up time and time again. It's the word repent. If you're here today and your life looks more like the world than it does Jesus, we need to repent. That's what we need to be doing as a church. Let's pray.